Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jay. Uh, before this episode, I just wanted to explain kind of what's going on this week. We're doing something a little bit different. A podcast that I edit for, called Rocking the Suburbs, invited us to do three guest episodes for them this week. And we elected to do them on the musician who's near and dear to our hearts, Mr. Frank Zappa. We go into a discussion of some of the people he's played with, his influences, what he's all about, and uh, play a lot of music. We had a lot of fun. I think by the end of the week, we kind of turned it into our own uh, version of Rock in the Suburbs. But uh, but yeah, if, if you enjoy uh, what you're kind of hearing on this episode and what you hear on most of the episodes from you, you should check it out. Um, please do check out Rock in the Suburbs. They do, a great, they do great work. They do a daily show. Um, a lot of content out there. It's a lot of work. They do a great job. So thank you to Jim and Patrick for having us, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. So yeah, in this episode, we were intending to discuss Zappa as a rock star, but we ended up just kind of talking about his guitar playing and how cool he is and some people he played with. But anyway, with uh, without further ado, here's episode two of Frank Zappa. Today on Rockin' the Suburbs. Did you guys hear about that vehicle that came from somewhere out there just to land in the Andes? Um, was it round? Uh, did it have a motor? Or was it something different? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have the details. Oh, did a vehicle, like, fly along the mountains and then find a place to park itself? Or did someone build a place to leave a space for such a thing to land? Um, guacamole queen? Guacamole queen! Well, gentlemen, welcome to day two. This is Thursday edition of uh, Rockin' the Suburbs. My name is Jay Rossman. I'm Nick Klein. And I'm Greg Lohman. And we're back. We're filling in for Jim and Patrick. They are on break this week. We're going to be filling in with a couple episodes. Talking about the man, the myth, and the legend that is Mr. Frank Vincent Zappa. Indeed. Yeah, so we've kind of gone through and given everybody a bit of a an overview, and I think we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into some of his rock and roll personality, a side that I think most people are familiar with from hits like Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, I'm the Slime. Disco Boy. Yeah. Disco Boy is another good one. What are some other of his big hits? Mm. Well, we played a few yesterday, uh, Montana. Sure. We played uh, Joe's Garage. Peaches and Regalia, yeah, Willie the Pimp, people might know. Dang strange. Uh, it's all good. It, it is. The breadth of work that the guy produced. Yeah, the guy was so prolific. He was so prolific. I don't think we touched on that yesterday. I was looking through this morning when we were getting ready for this, and he put out, in his lifetime, he put out 62 albums. Wow. And then his family trust, essentially, has been still re- releasing music that he hadn't gotten around to releasing, a lot of which is live music, but definitely some original. And they've had 50 albums released since he died. <laughs> That's it. And that doesn't even include the box sets. Like, uh, you can't do that on stage anymore, and, and I think Lather and a couple others. Sure. But just a just an incredible amount of work. That, um, that puts you in some pretty rare company. I mean, what is it? Like, Miles Davis might have that many? That's Yeah, there. that sounds but about I, right. I can't even think of another one off the top of my head. I don't know. I, I remember as a kid, uh, my dad... Was, was really into Frank Zappa, and uh, and to get a kid into Frank Zappa, you kind of have to go to, like, the the silly stuff. But I remember that being a number he would throw out when I was little. 
<laughs> this guy's put out, you know, at that point it was like 54 albums or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. just thinking like, wow, that's, that is a lot. That's yeah. mm-hmm. how many years has he been recording? Cause it's, that's more than a ye- one a year, I think. Right. <laughs> it's just... Yeah. And his music is dense. I mean, it's not like you can just, you know, Miles Davis with, all due respect, but like, you know, Miles was able to kind of pull some session players together and had a really cool vision, but like his music didn't always necessarily take a lot of time to really cultivate. Right. Hey man, the, let's, you let's know, play this on G minor for like 20 minutes, okay? Let's see how it goes. <laughs> that kind of thing. Hey, D.O., D.O. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but you know, Frank's music is, you know, black pages. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you see any pictures of, of his, you know, the basement in his Los Angeles home, it's just sheet music everywhere it was just constantly sure. writing yeah. just constantly composing which is another thing his uh his work schedule too right oh yeah what was it is it 18 hours on 12 off that sounds what about yeah the... yeah yeah there's a there's a part in the real frank zappa book where i think it was i can't remember how it bring... 18 hours on no it's 18 on eight off because it added to 26 <laughs> which means he didn't have a 24 hour day right. he would so his like lunch and dinners would coincide different times of the day right. depending on what course of schedule <laughs> so his kids remember like their one of their memories of dad as a kid was him just randomly coming out of the studio in the basement you know putting some hot dogs on right. bread putting in the microwave for two minutes while he smoked a cigarette and brewed another pop of pot of coffee <laughs> and then going back with his burnt weenie sandwich down to the basement to record for another six hours or something like that see you tomorrow dad yeah mm. and it was day in and day out just oh <laughs> craziness but with so many albums, you know, it's it's kind of hard. It's I know it's intimidating for me if somebody says, "Hey, I, you know, I know you're into Zappa. What would you recommend I listen to?" Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know we all have our favorites. But if just quick lightning round, guys, you know, Greg, let's start with you. If you had to pick, let's say, three albums for just a, a guy who's into music, you know, has a pretty eclectic taste. What what are three Zappa albums you would point to? Well, I think a safe start might be Hot Rats. Okay. Which uh, just kind of has displays the funkiness and the the creativity, but also like the the prowess. Accessible. Yeah, it's it's a little more accessible. It's also not terribly long, if I remember correctly. I like it's very short. Yeah, so that'd be kind of a safe one to start with, Um, Mm -hmm. and then I would maybe then venture to. I mean, I loved Roxy and Elsewhere was like life changing for me. Of course. Because yeah, yeah. the chops yeah. that the musician... I mean, you got George Duke. We'll get to like the people who he had in his band. But the band is just on fire. It's live. And it's. I just couldn't believe what I heard when I heard that stuff. And then um, sure. coming from around that same time, but a studio record would be one size fits all. I think that one is also just as mind-bending. And just yeah. even with today's technology, you wouldn't be able to pull a lot of that stuff off. It's, it's, yeah. it's just nuts. Yeah. It's so far ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. All right, Nick, what would, what would you say? Well, I would have to caveat it by saying that I would try to get to know the person to see what areas I felt like they would connect <laughs> to. But Greg got two of them. Uh, One Size Fits All is definitely, that's hands down my favorite studio album of his. And mm-hmm. honestly, I have to agree, Roxy and Elsewhere, which the, the, mm-hmm. the video documentary that came out a couple years ago, oh, I, I'll tell you what, I'd read so much about how much of that album had been like overdubbed after the fact whatever man that is a live video recording and they hit it like incredible i I would be hard pressed of pointing out where things aren't exactly like they're on the record so whatever they they did it live they did it live um roxy and elsewhere uh one size fits all and we're only in it for the money i think really yeah absolutely i think i think that touches on like his poignant analysis of 
of where America was at that time and all the crazy stuff that was going through people's heads in the late 60s, I think in and of itself, a brilliant record. Yeah, you've always been much more open to those late 60s albums than myself. I, I've, I enjoy We're Only In It For The Money, but I think that's a little bit too dense for, for Joe Sixpack. Sure, I just knew it was one you guys wouldn't pick, so... What do you got, Jay? I, what can I say? I, I would do Roxy and Elsewhere and, and One Size Fits All because I think any rock guy who's into rock or mainstream or pop music could enjoy them. And and my third would be, you know, it's not very adventurous, but it would have to be Apostrophe. Okay. I really think that's, you know, people don't give it enough credit because it starts with Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. But the other songs on there, especially songs like Apostrophe with Jack Bruce mm-hmm. and Stinkfoot, And uh, one of my favorites, Uncle Remus, and the song that we're about to play is on there as well. Well, let me caveat, all right? So we're only in it for the money would be for the indie, the the guy who's like also into the Beach Boys or something. Good call. Okay. If if I would actually say for somebody that's in more in mainstream, I'd actually throw out something like Lather, which is actually a really good compendium of mixed crap that actually has a great balance, and it's not. By any, it wasn't like a studio album. It was kind of just like a hodgepodge of stuff he couldn't fit onto other records. But it's got like Gregory Peckery, which I think is a great long form, ridiculous <laughs> like third side of an album. Um, so yeah, yeah I would I'd throw that one in there as a an alternative to "We're Only in It for the Money." I apologize, I cut you off. What song are we listening to? Oh no, not at all. I mean, the the thrust of this episode was supposed to be rock music, but as we're wont to do, we just went off down a rabbit hole. So we were going to play uh, "Cosmic Debris," which was a a minor hit off of the album "Apostrophe." <laughs> Mystery man came over and he said, I'm out of sight. He said, for a nominal service charge, I could reach Nirvana tonight. If I was ready, willing, and able to pay him his regular fee, he would drop all the rest of his pressing affairs and devote his attention to me. But I said, Who you jiving with that cosmic debris? things that i could talk about after hearing that song i mean the first thing that pops to mind is just the unique way that he records his vocals Mm. i mean he was slobbering right on the mic you can hear every thing that he had for breakfast that morning Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that was that was after he got like punched off the stage in 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 europe by some like crazy fan who thought he was making eyes at his girlfriend that's right and he like screwed his windpipe up so his voice dropped like a half an octave yeah, and Ruth right. Underwood. Ruth Underwood's fantastic. I got to throw that in there. And oh, sure, Cor- correct sure. me if I'm wrong, but is that uh, Tina Turner singing backup? 
It is. It is. Tina Turner and the Ikeettes. Mm. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know. But, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll get it, to man. the uh, to the extraordinary list of people who have been who recorded with Frank a little later on. But, but yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a big one. But the you know we we can only play a, a section of these songs, and so we're not going to get quite get to the awesome guitar solo on that one, and all over Apostrophe and Overnight Cessation and all of his '70s albums, but. You know, Greg, you're, you're a guitar player. I'm a guitar player. Nick, you are not, so you can you can I'll take up. a little pit stop yeah. if you like. Have a seat. Um, All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> talk about his guitar playing, man. Talk about his style and. Well, oh man. And well, I mean, well, he influenced practically everyone who came after him. I would say, especially as lead guitarists. But what's interesting about Frank Zappa is that he had a lot of ability on the guitar, but mm-hmm. it. To me, it still never felt like, I mean, really, he seemed most at ease as a composer. And even though he he could play some serious scorching lead, I think his vocabulary was maybe in a in a good way, almost a little limited to mostly like pentatonic um, blues scales. He didn't really have, I think. Are you saying there's something wrong with that? Absolutely not. Not at all, um, but as a guy who can only play pentatonic, well, no, but it's but it, and he could play his lines. But I guess what I mean is like when he was improvising in all his solos, I, that's mostly what I hear is kind of a blues approach. Sure. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, he would rock an SG through a Marshall and you know just kill it. And you know he was also pre like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Van Halen, but when guys like Van Halen started coming out and, you know, eventually Steve Vai, who he hired, um, Mm -hmm. by hiring someone like Steve Vai, it was clear that he would, he would be willing to bring people on to be, to do something that I don't know if he ever really quite figured out how to do, um, which he labeled stunt guitar, you know, which I always loved because (laughs) that's such a perfect name for it. You know, it's like, it's, it's like a Hollywood thing almost too. It's like, Oh, you have a stunt double, you know? Um, and so Steve Vai was like his guitar stunt double, you know? And if you guys don't know who Steve (laughs) Vai is, I mean, he's like Van Halen on steroids, you know, just absolutely over the top, like screeching like a bazillion notes in a second kind of player. He got, he got his start with Zappa, didn't he? Yes, he did. Right. What's the story, Jay, with the, was there like an audition or something? Like- no, no, no. Yeah, he was absolutely obsessed with Zappa as a musician and as a guitar player and was in love with this song, The Black Page. And he actually wrote to Zappa and said, hey, look, check this out. I transcribed all of The Black Page solo, you know, for an actual music notation and I think tab as well. And just wrote to Zappa and said, hey, look what I can do. That's, yeah, that is quite yeah, a feat. I'm, and he was he was 16 at the time, I think he did this. Right, right, something yeah. ridiculous like yeah. that. And so that that got uh, Zapp, Zappa's attention, obviously, took him out on the road and was his stunt guitar player mm-hmm. for all the really t- tough technical stuff where Frank could just go to the edge of the stage and smoke a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Awesome. And same with the drummers, too. That was Terry Bazio was his other little man boy. Yeah, exactly. And I'll, parade around and make him, make him do crazy stuff. But, you know, I think that the it was just such a massive challenge to be in Frank's band for not only just the technical prowess that you needed, but he was very disciplined and uh, expected a sure. very high standard. No drugs, you know, like no, no screwing around. Um, yeah. It was like basically like you were in an orchestra or whatever, you know. It was a serious, serious job. Unfortunately, a lot of really talented people got kicked out of Frank's band because they couldn't hang, you know, on the road with sure. him. 
but he had that standard and um yeah. but the guys it was who, a job yeah and the guys yeah. who did make it out like steve Vai and terry bazio they ended up you know kind of gracing the guitar and drum magazine covers for like the mm-hmm. next 30 right. years you right. know and then and then they would kind of continue that same work ethic absolutely yes. yeah no i mean i think that once it's kind of like i just imagine being in their position kind of not not being able to unsee what you saw you know and yeah and like it's and, the ultimate back in my day story really <laughs> yeah you know right, and right. so it's like after for, after for you've been yeah after you've been in a band like that it's very difficult to kind of be like oh it's okay you know like we'll just keep it we'll keep <laughs> things simple a couple hours a week right? yeah no no Instead of 12 hours because a day. they because you sort of you come to grips with what's possible and i you know yes but it, but in order for that to be achieved you have to also accept the fact that that work ethic needs to be on the same level as Frank's, you know? So I think he set the bar extremely high. Well, let's, uh, let's play a highlight of one of his guitar solos. Please. Um, this is one of my favorites. The song is called Inca Roads. It's off of our collectively favorite album. One Size Fits uh, All. One Size Fits All, right? This is the opening track. Just a real quick cool story about this song is that the guitar solo for this is actually taken from a live version of this same song that he mm. recorded on the road before the album version came out so the beginning album version was done in a studio or studios and then they spliced in this live guitar track which is just i mean i don't even how know how the hell do you do yeah. that how do you do that uh, he, he had pro tools right yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah beat detective just a control v oh, yeah. type thing so anyway this is the uh, guitar he had a solo pro freaking from... drummer is what he had mm. yeah, good point. <laughs> Oh man, and that is just a taste. That's the first track off of uh, One Size Fits All, um, which is incredible. Ama- and yeah, like we said, we kind of all identified that. Which, and which is, uh, George Duke just killing the vocal on that. Mm. Okay, so we talked about we were talking about people that that he played with. We've we've talked about Steve Vai. Um, who else have we mentioned? Well, on guitar, he also had Adrian Ballou. Okay, um, right. So, Ike and Tina Turner. Okay, yeah. Ike and Tina Turner. Vocals he, and the I get George Duke on keys vocals and vocals, and keys. yeah, man. yeah. And then and for yeah. a very, very brief period at the end of the 60s, uh, Lowell George, the slide player for Little Feet, mm. actually, oh, really, in, in the mothers, yeah. And a who's who of drummers, you know, you've got who do you have, Nick Terry Bazio, right? Never heard Chad of Chad Wackerman, who 
Never. <laughs> and Vinny Coll- Collander, what's his name? <laughs> what do you call him, Greg? Caliuda. <laughs> Vinny Caliuda. I don't know how to say his name, but I can spell it. Vinny Caliuda. I'm just kidding. Vinny Caliuda. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy Carl Black. I don't think he made our list, but I love him. <laughs> yeah. Jim Gordon, famed uh, studio drummer, played with Eric Clapton for a long time. Also Ooh. played in Mothers for a little while. Nice. Yeah, played with and, all kinds of different people, and and from so many different spectrums, you know, so many yeah. different parts of the musical community. Pretty incredible stuff, indeed. Yeah, it was really just a matter of like if if, if someone had a mastery of the instrument and the work ethic to show up for rehearsals and stay for the twelve hour days, I, I feel like <laughs> that was the bar. <laughs> yeah, because um, he had he had what Jean Luc Ponty, right? The like jazz violinist. Yeah, yeah, he was on. I think. Uh, Hot rats. Yeah, that's him on Wooly the Pimp, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, yep. right. Mm-hmm. That's badass. Pretty cool stuff. So, yeah, uh, this episode we kind of delved into some of the rock stuff, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least so. we talked about a lot of stuff. We well, speaking of rock. At least 15 minutes. Sting, right? Didn't he play with oh, Sting? Yeah, of course. Of course. Did, no, no. You see, he, he had a. What, what's the story? I think, I think actually we got a clip for it, but he had yeah, him come yeah. out on stage during like some tour he was doing, which, which yeah. ended up on Broadway the Hard Way. And it's yeah, a fantastic one of, one little of, bit. Zappa's later albums from 88 88, uh, is is a great one. And Nick, you actually turned me on to this one. I think you had it on CD. You let me borrow it for a little while. Mm -hmm. Pretty great album. Um, Compliments to Guy Klein. God bless you. There you go. (laughs) Broadway the hard way. And there's this great clip of them doing... Uh, he had, he introduces Sting out on stage, and they're gonna and they play "Murder by Numbers," and that song is immediately preceded by "Was Stolen Moments." What's who whose jazz song is that? Greg Oliver Nelson. Oliver Nelson, you're right, right. They do this great improv on that that leads into the the song that we're gonna go out on. But um, just to wrap it up here, uh, remember Jim and Patrick will be back next week. We have our own podcast. It's called "You Should Check It Out." And you should check that out. We uh, are up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those places. You can send Jim and Patrick an email at rock at suburbspod.com. Or if you do the social media stuff, you can find them at suburbspod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. So tomorrow, gentlemen, uh, Friday, we're going to close things out. We're going to talk about the stuff that we like, the really avant-garde out there stuff, and some of his compositional Stuff and some of his orchestral scores. Is that about the composer? Yeah. Mm. And whatever else we feel like squeezing in before, before we're we kicked out of this off. joint. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> it's been nice hanging out in the studios, though. You know, the nice, the nice microphones. Jim and Patrick have really made a heck of a heck of a place here. This is cushy chairs, nice beer. Good, and they flew us out. That was amazing. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All expenses paid. First class. At least I think that's what they said. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So anyway. uh Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. And uh, in the meantime, uh, here is Mr. Sting with Murder Lamb. I just talked to him in the dressing room a little while ago, and I said, how would you, Mr. Sting, like to come out on stage and perform with us? Now, It's not in my nature to kick a man when he's down. When I saw the first half of the show, I realized I had to come out here and tell you something. But four years ago, Jimmy Swaggart said this about me. He said, this here song by the police, Murder by Numbers, was written by Satan. Performed by the sons of Satan. Beelzebub. 
Lucifer! The Horned One! I wrote the f song, alright? That you've decided on a killing First you make a stone of your heart If you find that your hands are still willing Then you can turn a murder into art But there really isn't any need for bloodshed You just do it with a little more finesse If you can slip a tablet into someone's coffee And it avoids an awful lot of mess Cause it's murder by numbers one, two, three It's as easy to learn as your ABC Murder by numbers one, two, three It's as easy to learn as your ABC No, just keep it keep it rolling. Just keep it rolling. Yeah. Alright. So Jay had to step out. Um <laughs> This this break's brought to you by Goodreads. Uh, mm. Goodreads. Books you should read. Yeah. Greg, who's the sponsor that you got? Um Legal Zoom. Legal Zoom. Legal Zoom. Yeah. Please consult an attorney. Yeah, but Legal Zoom. Before you do anything. Right. We've got forms. Legal Zoom. Mm-hmm. Fill them out. Good one. LegalZoom.com. Oh, and Audible. Audible. Books you don't have to read. <laughs> Audible. <laughs> Audible. You got a lot of Bedtime Audibles. Bedtime stories for adults. Audible. <laughs>